1: is the Tom Hartman program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We're going to do a deep dive, a full hour, with David K. Johnston in Conversations with Great Minds. He has a new book out called The Big Cheat. It's subtitled How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. And I think you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. But I want to start out with what is happening to our country? It turns out that this 15-year-old kid who shot up this school in Oakland County, Michigan, murdered four of his peers and injured, severely injured, I believe another seven of them. His name is Ethan Crumbly. And there's a little background here. His mother, 43-year-old Jennifer Crumbly, back in 2016, posted an open letter on her blog to Donald Trump. Now, November 2016, that's like, you know, election month in 2016. And she says, she writes about her letter, you made the famous grab them in the P word comment. Did it offend me? No, she wrote to Trump. I say things all the time that people take the wrong way. Do I mean them? Not always. Do I agree with you that that you should have shown your tax returns? No. I don't care what you do, or maybe you don't pay taxes. I think those are personal, and if the government can lock someone up over $10,000 of unpaid taxes and you slipped by, then that shows the corruption, she writes. And then she goes on to say, and this is where it gets really bizarre, she says, as a female and a realtor, thank you for allowing my right to bear arms, allowing me to be protected if I show a home to someone with bad intentions. Thank you for respecting that amendment. You know, realtors have been able to get concealed carry permits forever. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump. But then she signs the letter. A hardworking, middle-class, law-abiding citizen who is sick of getting effed in the word for the rear end and would rather be grabbed by the P word. Really? This is, and this is the mother of the kid who murdered four people? Dad bought the gun on Black Friday. And how did the kid get the gun? You know, if we don't start holding parents to account, particularly when their kids are using the parents' guns, it's illegal to leave guns around where kids can access them. It's got to be illegal in most all states. And, you know, we're not going to have any kind of reasonable gun control in this country until we start gun control. I shouldn't even use those words, right? We're not going to have any reasonable gun safety. We're not going to have any reasonable gun ownership and usage until we start holding people accountable when they violate the basic norms of society. So, Anyhow, picking up your phone calls, Angela in New York City. Hey, Angela, what's up?
0: Hey, Tom. Long time no speak. Uh, I used to call your show a lot during the Trump years. I just wanted to ask something very quickly. You said earlier, I just now heard you say, what is going on in this country? And um, I've taken now almost a year off from news, from Twitter, from everything, because I just, I, I just ran out of steam. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to say was, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Yep. I, used to, I used to think that the more things that were taken away from people, people on the left, you know, that something would happen and people would fight back. I'm not seeing that, and that scares me. And the other thing that bothers me and still bothers me and bothered me for four years of that abominable presidency is that we are not organized. The right is organized. I can't go on any you know, channel. Any, every other channel happens to be a right-wing channel. They are everywhere. They're at the radio stations. They're everywhere. Where are we? And when are we going to wake up and realize that we are headed in? We are in the dark ages. We're not headed there. We're there.
1: Here's the problem, yeah. Angela, in a nutshell. The right wing not only likes bigotry and, and hates black people and wants to keep women down and all that kind of stuff, but they also want to keep taxes low on rich people and they want to keep businesses deregulated and further deregulate businesses so they can make more profit by basically poisoning the planet those companies that benefit from those policies those republican policies and those billionaires who benefit from those republican policies keep in mind we didn't even have billionaires before you know before before no. george w bush's administration they're the ones who are supporting this they're you know they're the ones who are creating these television and radio networks they're the ones who are funding all this stuff there you know, there, there is no similar group of billionaires on the left who benefit from the policies of the left
0: yeah you're absolutely right it always comes down to the money doesn't it
1: it does it does and this is is, is, that's
0: why we need the people to look at this and we need to be the ones to control what's going on and people are not doing it
1: i agree And, and this is why we need to overturn citizens united angela because that's that's when it was legalized that these billionaires and these corporations could own our political system and that needs to be overturned immediately angela thank you for the call In our Conversations with Great Minds series today with us is David K. Johnston. He's an investigative journalist. He's the co-founder of DCReport.org. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 2001. He's the Distinguishing Visiting Lecturer at the College of Law and Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University. He's the author of eight books, and uh, so, among them, some of my favorites, Fine Print, Perfectly Legal, The Making of Donald Trump, and his most recent, The Big Cheat, in fact, I have it right here in my hand, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. David, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining me for, a, for this deep dive into your book and into your work.
2: Well, thank you for having me on again, Tom, and greetings from the home of uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth
1: Cady Stanton. And that is? The two most important women in the suffrage movement. That you were no, I know about. who they are. Where is the home? Uh, you mean the home state, oh, or are you in a building? Yes, no, Ro- <laughs> Ro- well, Rochester, New York, for Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Katie Stanton
2: lived out in farm country, a uh, short distance from here. And of course, also, Frederick Douglass published the North Star newspaper from here. So wow. Rochester was a very important
1: center of the suffrage movement and the abolitionist movement. You are steeped in history, David. You are absolutely steeped <laughs> in history. Tell me the story of Stacy Black. You tell this story in your book about Donald. Actually, if if in fact, let me start. Let's let's start at another point, if I may. Sure. In your kind of background book on Donald Trump that you published a couple of years ago, who is Donald? Who is this guy really? Where did he come from? How did he, how did he get on our scene? I think for for people who don't live in New York State or in particular in New York City, you know, he just. Other than being, you know, the celebrity apprentice guy on TV, people just don't know, you know, where did he come from? Yeah, most people have absolutely no idea. I have covered Donald Trump since 1988,
2: longer than any other serious journalist. And Donald Trump is the third generation head of a four generation white collar crime family. His grandfather, Friedrich, is always drunk
1: that they changed to Trump.
2: Uh, fled uh, Bismarck's Germany in 1885
1: when he turned 60. David, David, forgive the interruption, but I'm having a yeah. really hard time hearing you. I don't know if you've got a bad earbud in or if you're not holding the phone near you or whatever, but I can't, um, I'm having a hard time I, hearing I am.
2: I, I am as well. Let me try doing it the way I usually do this, which is...
1: Okay, <laughs> David will be with us in a few moments. Uh, his new book, it's called The Big Cheat, uh, how Donald Trump fleeced America and enriched himself and his family. Washington Monthly uh, notes that David K. Johnston is one of this country's most important journalists. Lawrence Tribe calls him a national treasure. And, uh, and Donald Trump said, I know the reporter's a weird dude who's been following me for 25 years, so obviously he hasn't done so well. He's been following me in a negative fashion for 25 years. Always a hit. And I'm president, and he hasn't done a very good job. This is on the back of David's book is this, uh, you know, uh, trash-talking David K. Johnson by Donald Trump. So um, uh, Joyce, I believe, has got David back on the phone, and we're going to try and have, you know, some halfway decent audio because it it really is a good idea when you've got a guest on if you can actually hear what they have to say. So hang on just a second. The book, by the way... Starts out with the original lie. We will we will go through this stuff then goes on to the jobs mirage And then the charity doghouse and this is kind of step-by-step through all these things off the books Collecting tribute don't ask don't know conflicts of interest David you want to try it again? I've got you on the board David. I think you've got me back Tom. I do. Yes. Hey, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition okay, so Let's, you, you, you started out by saying that Donald Trump was a, the fourth generation of a crime family in America? He's the third generation
2: of a four-generation white-collar crime family. So fill that, his, fill that in. His grandfather, Friedrich Trump, fled Bismarck's draft when he turned 16 in 1885, lied to get his American citizenship, Uh, I think the evidence is quite clear that he was a pimp who uh, ran uh, whorehouse operations in Seattle, Everett, Washington, and the Yukon Territory. He even built a hotel for what were called sporting ladies on land he didn't own, tried to go back to Germany with a fortune that he made, and the Germans uh, wrote him a letter, which I have a copy of, saying basically, uh, you draft dodging, no good, you're not welcome, get out of our country. Um, he died in the influenza pandemic uh, in uh, a century ago. Uh, Donald's father, uh, Fred, who was born in 1905, uh, ripped off the taxpayers for about $40 million in today's money. President Eisenhower threw a fit in the Oval Office when he heard this. Uh, because, of course, Eisenhower, as a general, was the man who sent all those young American men to their deaths on Omaha Beach. Uh, and Fred Trump defended this, uh, saying that, well, to the Senate Current Banking Committee, well, yes, yes, I, I did have all this extra money, uh, but uh, I, I didn't take it. It's in my business bank account. Like, so what?
1: Um, so what, how does the, Fred Trump's uh, ripoff Donald, tie back to Omaha Beach?
2: Well, uh, the money that was ripped off was to uh, build subsidized housing for G.I.s and sailors from World War II. Ah. And uh, there was a contract as to how much money he was entitled to make. And instead, he made $4 million more, close to $40 million in today's money um, uh, through the contract and was investigated for this by uh, the Senate. And he had a business partner for many years in building the thousands and thousands of apartments that he owned in Brooklyn and Queens, a guy named Willie Tomasello. Willie Tomasello is identified in numerous government reports as a front for the Gambino and Genovese mob families in New York, the two most vicious mafia families in New York. When Donald finished college uh, and got a degree he clearly didn't earn, from Penn in economics. Uh, He came to New York, immediately started ingratiating himself to the notorious Roy Cohn. He called Roy Cohn his second father. And uh, he began embedding himself in relationships with New York mobsters. But even outside the real estate business, Donald has spent his whole life soliciting business from criminals. Uh, Irish mobsters, Albanian mobsters, Kazakh uh, criminals, Russian criminals, Ukrainian criminals. It's just who he is, and he's been doing this his entire life. And for years, Donald was very deeply involved with a man named Joseph Wexelbaum. Joe Wexelbaum maintained his personal uh, helicopter. It was called the Ivana, and his fleet of helicopters to bring high rollers to Atlantic City. Joseph Wexelbaum was one of the biggest drug traffickers in America, and when he got caught and fessed up to everything in writing, I have the documents. Um, he cut a deal. Uh, the people who just drove the drugs for him from Miami to Ohio got 20 years for just for driving the drugs in cars and trucks. Uh, Joe, after his case was referred to the courtroom of federal judge marianne trump berry donald's sister in the jurisdiction where it was alleged no crime had taken place he served 18 months and when he got out he went back to work for donald trump as his helicopter consultant and despite telling the federal government he had no money couldn't pay his federal fines thirty thousand dollars he suddenly moved into a multi-million dollar apartment in trump tower Uh, That's that's who Donald Trump is. He is a lifelong criminal. And the fourth generation of the family is Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump and the two older Trump sons,
1: Don Jr. and uh, Eric. That's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, we're talking with David K. Johnston. He's uh, His new book out, it's called The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family, and uh, doing a deep dive here this hour into the history of Donald Trump and, and what he's up to now as well. We'll be back with David in just a moment. It's Conversations with Great Minds with David K. Johnston. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe.
1: Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family by New York Times bestselling author David K. Johnston. This is from the introduction. The majority of Americans found themselves in uncertain economic circumstances in 2015, many in scary straits. Living paycheck to paycheck, even with two working adults in the family, had become the norm in America. By 2015, many people had been down so long, walloped by economic shocks in 2000 and 2008, they believed the future was not President Ronald Reagan's mourning in America, but endless debt and potential homelessness. The rent was too high, the wages too low. It was a time of anxiety for most, even as those at the top gathered riches beyond the imagining of any generation before them. It was a perfect time for a master con artist to lay waste to the desperate and cheat them of all they had, all the while telling them that he was really their friend and helper. Donald Trump was the man for that time. Trump was a master huckster. He had successfully fleeced investors, cheated workers and vendors, ripped off students of his fake university, and outmaneuvered banks that loaned him more than a billion dollars that he never paid back. He had even cheated novice roulette players at one of his casinos in what was supposed to be the most heavily regulated industry in America. And he'd gotten away with it. He'd never been arrested, never been charged with a crime, even though Mayor Ed Koch of New York City once said he deserved 15 days in jail for sales tax evasion. He'd even gotten away with forgery as his own tax lawyer and accountant testified under oath in one of his two known civil trials for income tax fraud, both of which he lost. While Trump was known in New York society as a cheat, a liar, a manipulator, and a deadbeat, and although he had been fined $200,000 for replacing women and minorities in an attempt to placate his biggest casino customer, the worst that had happened to him was lawsuits, fines, and being shunned by some at high society affairs like the annual Met Gala in Manhattan. But that was not the Donald Trump most Americans knew or thought they knew. Certainly not those who live far beyond New York City and Atlantic City. To much of the American public, Donald Trump was a hero, a larger-than-life business genius who could turn anything to gold while thumbing his nose at the American aristocracy. He was a modern Midas with a series of trophy wives and endless riches. And he ate the very same fast food they did. Trump created this image on the NBC television network, for which for years aired his show, The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice. The shows made the network a fortune. They earned Trump the cash he needed to pose as a multi-billionaire, and more importantly, they made him famous in what he called the real America of small towns, farmland, and cities where no one wore bespoke suits or designer dresses. And he had that signature line, you're fired, which in a perverse way gave relief to people who knew that they could be fired at any time and for no good reason. His television shows were no more real than the paint that made his name appear to be carved in gold letters. It was fool's gold all the way for anybody who believed his Protean story. To anyone who understood business, his show was laughable. But his audience was largely people who had never been in a boardroom or an executive suite, didn't know what was taught in management schools, had no idea what makes a business succeed. And so the ridiculous narratives played in primetime as believable tales of business acumen. What people watching his show and a majority of the rest of America wanted was a leader who could relieve their financial distress. Trump appeared to provide them with what they yearned for, a hero who cared about them, a man who they believed would champion their desire to escape decades in the economic doldrums. The year that Trump came down the escalator of Trump Tower to announce his campaign for the presidency, the economy was actually on the mend, but not fast enough to make up for the devastation caused by the first dot-com bubble bursting at the turn of the century, and then by the 2008 Great Recession, which by some measures caused more harm than the Great Depression of the 1930s. Tens of millions of Americans who worked steadily, took care of their families, and tried to do their best kept being stymied by circumstances beyond their control. Their wages had stopped rising er- decades earlier. 90% of American households had less income adjusted for inflation than in 2015 than they had in 1973 according to tax data. Even in households with two working adults, many people struggled to keep afloat. The vast majority of Americans had no savings and more than a few relied on payday lenders who charged interest rates that a few decades before would have earned them prison sentences for usury. By 2015 those interest rates had been legitimized by the courts, Congress, and state legislatures. Health insurance plans didn't even fully cover routine care anymore. Pensions were disappearing. Many good-paying jobs, especially in manufacturing and mining, had vanished. Some had gone to China, Mexico, or Vietnam, others never to return, especially in coal mining, as competitive fuels were cheaper and cleaner. And job security? By 2015, no one's job was secure, not even those teachers and professors who supposedly had tenure for life. The book by David K. Johnston, The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. So, David, to what extent have Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Jared, I know Jared has his own criminal history, or his father certainly did, to what extent have they followed in their father's footsteps?
2: Oh, absolutely. And and let me just make one point, Tom. Everything I just said to people comes out of public records. There's no unnamed sources. I don't use unnamed sources with Donald, because there's an abundant public record, which my fellow journalists... Uh, where I used to work at the New York Times and other newspapers, they just never read it. They never looked, even when I offered to give them my documents, all public record, all indisputable. So, uh, let's go through uh, what's happened with the Trump family. Eric Trump, 13 years ago, uh, famously said that uh, they didn't need American banks. We can get we get all the money we want coming out of Russia. And Donald Trump uh, has a rough, sold roughly 10 percent of the condos he sold over the years were sold to Russians, usually in cash deals, uh, and some of them with pricing that suggests significant overpayment, uh, which tells us this may involve money laundering. Mm-hmm. Don Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, participated in the Build the Wall charity scam. A uh, disabled veteran named uh, Brian Colfage set up a charity where he was going to get donations and build the wall on the Mexican border, you know, a project that would cost tens of billions of dollars. And he promised people again and again and again, not one penny, not one penny, will be used for anything but building the wall. He then brought in Steve Bannon to the deal. And they held a a news event in New Mexico to show that they were building the wall. They had put up a cheap piece of fence that would be totally ineffective and uh, had other problems. And Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle came out there and endorsed the project. So what actually happened? Well, Cole and two other guys are facing criminal trial shortly because they were, in fact, using the money for their own lifestyle, buying boats and jewelry and things like that. Steve Bannon stole $1 million from this charity, but he is not being tried because his patron, Donald Trump, pardoned him. Now, Ivanka, herself, she obtained from the government of China numerous patents, trademarks, service marks, intellectual property rights. If you as an American want to get a patent or a trademark in China, be prepared for a multi-year slog. Uh, You'll have to hire the right lawyers, the right Chinese lawyers who are connected with the party, and it's not going to happen at all quickly. But Ivanka's were approved like that when President Xi was about to go to Mar-a-Lago and meet with Donald Trump. President Xi is a very, very sophisticated guy, unlike Donald Trump. Jared Kushner, before Donald Trump took office, was in serious financial trouble. He had uh, persuaded his family to buy 666 Fifth Avenue, An office building a couple of blocks down the road from from town.
1: David, if I could ask you to just pause right there. I'm sorry, it's the tyranny of the clock here on commercial radio. Stick around. We're talking with uh, David K. Johnston, who has just produced another brilliant book. <laughs> he, has, he has written so many about economics, and, and this is the second one on Donald Trump. It's called The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. And, David, we were just talking about the Trump children. Uh, you mentioned that Don Jr. and his wife went into business with Steve Bannon on this uh, build-a-wall scam that Bannon extracted a million dollars from and got busted for and then got pardoned by Trump for. And, and that Eric had publicly said, we get all the money we need from Russia. And then you had just started with Ivanka and Jared. You want to restart that? Sure. And just, just to be clear, this is the third Trump book. The previous sure. two were both
2: international bestsellers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, I went over how Ivanka, with just unbelievable speed, was granted all these intellectual property rights by China, including, by the way, Intellectual property rights to voting machines, a very curious thing for a communist dictatorship to grant a licensing for intellectual property rights. Jared, in 2006 or 7, bought 666 666 Fifth Avenue, an office building just down from Trump Tower. He wildly overpaid for it. It was about double the previous high price paid per square foot in Manhattan. Uh, then the economy collapsed, you'll recall, um, because of all the corruption in the lending business, mortgage lending business. Uh, the value of the building fall, fell to perhaps as little as a third of what he paid for it, and it was, it was all borrowed money. They put $50 million down on a $1.8 billion uh, purchase. And he needed to get bailed out of this, uh, and this problem continued to be deferred, but he was desperate. So when Donald Trump was president-elect, he went to Qatar in the Middle East. Qatar is home to America's most important military base in the Middle East. And uh, the government in Qatar uh, owns Al Jazeera, the news service that has had a big influence on making people in the Middle East aware of the dictatorships they live under. They're hated by the Saudis and the Emiratis because of this. Uh, The Qataris took a look at this and said, we're not going to loan you $800 million. That's a terrible loan. Uh, Why would we do that? And guess what Donald Trump began doing? He began attacking Qatar.
0: Our ally. They're
2: financing terrorists. Yeah, they do. They finance two terrorist groups. The Saudis finance 60 of them, according to the State Department. And uh, uh, this is a good example of where U.S. national security interests were submarined by the Trump family for the financial benefit of the family, uh, and and there are other examples of this that that I point to in the book, but this is a really egregious one. And when Jared and Ivanka left their positions at the White House, they were on the staff at the White House after repeatedly filing incomplete, misleading, and false security notices called SF86, and anybody else who just once had to refile to correct mistakes probably wouldn't get a security clearance. But if you had to do it a second time, Malcolm Nance and many other people will tell you there is zero chance that you would have gotten to continue to have access to national security materials. But this is the Donald Trump administration and uh, from their financial disclosure statements, we know that uh, uh, Jared and Ivanka made between $172 million and $640 million In business income During their four years in the White House Wow And now Jared is out there raising money From the Saudis and Emiratis To uh, run a fund That he would manage He was lining his, himself up For future um, uh, Success in managing Money for people in the Middle East Not looking out for American national security
1: So, the fourth generation of the Trump crime family, and and literally the Trump crime family. We're talking with David K. Johnson, our conversations with the great minds today. His new book, The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family.
0: the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome back, we're doing a deep dive with uh, our Conversations of the Great Minds today with David K. Johnston, investigative journalist, co-founder of DCReport.org, Pulitzer Prize recipient in 2001, distinguishing visiting lecturer at the College of Law and Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University, the author of eight books, including three on Donald Trump, his third just out, The Big Cheat, Donald Trump fleeced America and enriched himself and his family. So, David, we've, we've kind of covered, uh, I guess, you know, parts of his family, uh, D- Donald Trump's family uh, ripping us off. Uh, what did, h- how did he make this transition from just being an ordinary grifter and, and buddy of organized crime in the mafia to becoming president of the United States? It's, it was fairly clear he was not expecting this to happen.
2: Well, Donald has been talking about being president since the 1980s. And it's important to understand that in his mind, of course he should be president. He should be president forever. He should actually run the whole world because everybody else is an idiot and nobody else is qualified. He really believes this. This is the nature of of who Donald is, that he's special and the rules don't apply to him. Uh, Back in uh, 2011, after Uh, President Obama had a little fun with him about his television, uh, quote-unquote, reality show. Yeah,
1: I was in the room. Uh,
2: Donald said he was going to run for president against Obama in 2012. The political reporters, I prefer to call them politics reporters, on the national scene all treated him as a serious candidate. And separately, both Lawrence O'Donnell and I kept saying, "You're, you're not getting this right, folks. He's not running for president. He's running for a better contract with NBC. He's trying to show that his audience can grow, and that's what he's doing. And when, by the way, he got his uh, new contract, what did Donald do? You know, I should be president. The country needs me. No one else uh, is, is really qualified to be president, but my television show needs me right now, so I'm, I'm withdrawing. So when he announced in 2015 that he was running, the politics reporters having had egg on their face as they should they treated it as a vanity project and i called up lots of these people i called up former editors of mine at the new york times and i said hey you're not getting what's going on here he is a serious candidate this time okay well thank you very much hmm. uh we think we know what we're doing mm-hmm. and by the time they woke up to this he was in the white house uh, and 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 here's an example of how awful the coverage was the New book, The Big Cheat, opens up with what I call the original lie. Donald comes down the escalator at Trump Tower in June of 2015 and announces there are thousands of people here, thousands, an enormous crowd. Tom, you've been, I assume, in the lobby of Trump Tower. You couldn't put a thousand people in there if you packed them in with sealed oil like sardines.
1: I I have been, and you're right. He all he also controlled
2: where the cameras were directed and he launched these these racist uh, bigoted assaults most famously his line about mexicans being uh, murderers and rapists well the next day's new york times didn't even mention that not a word about it He just had some vague line about uh, his expressing hostility um I watched this, and the fact that every time he said something outrageous, there were these rounds of applause and cheering. And I thought, this is midtown Manhattan. This is the heart of the most liberal city in America. Where did he get these people? Did he bust them in from West Virginia? The next day, the Hollywood Reporter revealed that uh, an ad had been placed saying, if you want to pick up 50 bucks, uh, come to Trump Tower, uh, put on a shirt, and cheer and clap on command and that's what this was. He didn't have, as he claimed, thousands of adoring fans there. He had a bunch of people who work as extras in TV and movie, you know, the people you see in the jury box in Law & Order or walking down the street behind the stars as they converse. Um, He paid these people, he had to pay them, and they tried to hide that they paid them, they lied and denied about it, but they ultimately had to confess that yes, these were hired hands. Everything about his presidency, is built on lies. He said he was going to put the forgotten man and woman first. No, he put them last. What he put first was what he always puts first, Donald Trump and how many commas he can claim are after his name. And let me be clear about that. There is no evidence and never has been that he's a billionaire. I revealed he had a negative net worth more than 30 years ago and uh uh, it's all smoke and mirrors he's a rich man but he's he's never been a billionaire much less someone worth 10 or as he's claimed once 11 billion dollars
1: so in your book you talk about how he made over a billion dollars or at least over a billion dollars flowed over a billion and a half dollars flowed through the trump organization during the four years he was president how does that comport with your Suggestion that he's not well, that wealthy.
2: That's the revenue that flowed to the more than 500 businesses that Donald has, all of which are wholly owned by Donald Trump and all of which pass through to him. But revenue is not profit. It's not income. Um, I mean, if I had all the money people paid for my books rather than my share of them after expenses, I'd be quite wealthy. Right. Uh, and and so Donald had, had to report more than $1.6 billion flowing across the books of his companies. Um, but that doesn't make him a billionaire. And remember that in addition to the debt we know about that Donald has, We also know that Donald has lied repeatedly under oath about his finances. I've documented this in the past. Uh, Everything I write about him in this book, like the previous two, is tied to a document that's listed in the back of the book uh, or my conversations with Donald, which I wrote about at the time. And in one case, I quote directly someone who was there at a meeting when Donald was 29 and he assaulted the mayor of New York City twice. Uh, a story I've known for years, the guy has consistently told for years, um, uh, and the only other person alive from that is, is Donald. Everything else, though, tied to the public record so that you keep, there's no dispute about the facts that I've reported. You know, Donald has called me up at home for many, many years and threatened to sue me, and I always say, well, Donald, if you believe you have a case, go ahead and sue me. And he knows that he could never have a case because I don't write things that I can't prove.
1: So uh, you mentioned how in debt he is, and and my understanding, and I'm nothing close to the scholar of this stuff that you are. In fact, I don't think anybody in this country is. Um, But uh, from just general readings, it seems that he had borrowed something on the order of a billion dollars from Deutsche Bank, that Justice Kennedy's son, Justin, was right in the middle of that that Trump made a reference in the Rose Garden to Justice Kennedy about his son just a few weeks or a few months before Justice Kennedy decided to resign. Is there something hinky going on here? Was he just trying to get another Supreme Court justice?
2: Yeah, I don't go into that story for the very reason that we don't know precisely what was going on. And there's so much material where we don't need to worry about that. But, yes, of course, there was something hinky going on. There's always something hinky when Donald is involved <laughs> in it. And let me give you a, a good example of this. Donald got these loans from Deutsche Bank under terms that they don't make sense. Uh, Deutsche Bank's internal people said, don't make loans to this guy. And they went ahead and made them anyway. Well, there's a practice in big, high-level banking, not what you and I and probably most people listening to the show do, known as back-to-back. So let's say I wanted to, a bank to loan my children, uh, one of my children, ten million dollars, and I had that kind of money. And I go to my banker and I say, "Look, I don't want to make the loan to my kid. That's going to complicate things. But if you'll make the loan, I'll deposit ten billion dollars, ten million dollars, or give you a letter of credit for ten million dollars. And if my son flakes out, you're covered. Just make him the loan." Well, there's lots of reason to think that the loans from Deutsche Bank on the other side had Russian money in them. Mm. Uh, When Donald bought this awful, horrible excuse of a mansion in Palm Beach, about two miles from Mar-a-Lago, you can go on the Internet and find photos and video of it. I mean, it it makes the the, uh, mansions built by West Texas oil richies in the 50s look sophisticated as real estate. Mm. Uh, He way overpaid for it. Uh, he was in trouble, and he had a loan from Deutsche Bank for $40 million on a Chicago hotel, and he couldn't pay it back. So first he sued Deutsche Bank, and he said, well, act of God, I'm excused from paying the loan. It's an act of God. The economy fell apart, and so I don't have to pay, which ultimately no judge would accept if, if it had gone to trial. And suddenly, one of the Russian oligarchs, a guy who Putin jailed twice for not following his orders. Putin is the head of the biggest, richest criminal gang in the world. And like all mob bosses, he, he doesn't want to go around handling disputes and stuff. Uh, the Godfather lays this out very well. Go do your business. And when I need something, I'll tell you about it. And if you don't perform, there will be penalties. And, and the guy, Rublova, who bought the building, paid more than twice what it was worth. And Donald walked away with just enough cash to be able to pay back Deutsche Bank. Hmm. And why would the Russian oligarch make this, buy this place? Well, the story he told was, I'm in a divorce with my wife, and I'm trying to hide assets. Well, if you're trying to hide assets from your wife, why would you waste money by overpaying for something? Uh, that makes, I mean, you might as well just start a bonfire and throw $20 bills into
1: it. Mm-hmm. So, so, this, this was, uh, that, that's amazing. So, th- this was part of that backstop, basically, on the back to back process.
2: Yes, and this was, but understand that Donald has been doing hinky deals with Russians since the early 1980s. For a number of years, the floor immediately below Donald's apartment in Trump Tower, he has three floors. So, the floor right below him was a full blown 24 hour a day illegal casino. Well, when the FBI pulled it, what did Donald say? Oh, I I had no
1: idea. Really? That's what they were doing? Visit TomHardy.com for audio. We'll be right back. We're talking with David K. Johnston, Conversations with Great Minds, his new book, The Big Cheat How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. So back in 2015, I gave $15, as I recall, might have been five, but uh, I typically do this at the beginning of campaign seasons to a bunch of different candidates, Republicans and Democrats, just to basically get on their list. And I, I sent 15 bucks to Donald Trump. It was just this week that I finally decided I've got to stop and started putting all the emails I'm getting from him on my spam list, but I'm I've been literally since, since he lost the election, it's really gone into the stratosphere. Prior to that, it was once or twice a week. I've been getting six, seven, eight, nine emails a day from him begging for money. Uh, what kind of, what kind of operation is he running? What kind of money is he raising here?
2: Yeah, I love the ones from Don Jr. that say, you're the only person who didn't respond yesterday to my father's request. He personally asked me to get in touch with you.
1: Right, right.
2: Apparently there are people who believe this. Uh, Donald Trump is America's beggar-in-chief. His business now is begging for money. And he's collected uh, uh, roughly a half a billion dollars. When he started the Stop the Steal fundraising... Uh, Last year, he said it was to, you know, uh, get lawyers and fight to show that he really won the election. He spent $9 million on lawyers. And he didn't pay a bunch of people, including most famously Rudy Giuliani, uh, because, of course, it wasn't about that. And he continues to solicit this money. A lot of it is going to end up being paid over to criminal defense lawyers after he's indicted in Manhattan, possibly in Westchester County, New York. Uh, the District of Columbia, and uh, in Fulton County, Georgia, because uh, any lawyers who are going to represent him are going to demand full payment up front because of Donald's history of not paying his lawyers. Right. But that's his business now, Tom. He is, he is America's beggar-in-chief. And just as with the elections, he's really good at his cons. He is the greatest con artist in world history. He conned his way into the White House
1: it's 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 truly breathtaking you know when when you think about it was there a stop the steel operation in 2016 i've heard that what they rolled out in 2020 was just something that him and roger stone had come up with when they expected to lose to hillary
2: well they used different techniques at the time and and i'm glad you brought 2016 because today in particular i've gotten several uh, emails or forums that i'm in from people saying you know, when are you journalists going to stop lying about Russia? There was no Russian intervention. You know, you've read the the uh, and told your, your viewers and listeners about the Senate Intelligence Committee report right. when the chairman was Richard Burr of North Carolina, a Republican, that the Russians were deeply involved in the campaign. I mean, my God, uh, Dom Jr. wrote, "Love it" when an emissary of the Kremlin proposed a meeting in Trump Tower. Now, if you're running for president or you're on a campaign and an agent of the Kremlin contacts you for a meeting, there is only one thing you should do, A, as a matter of law, but B, as a matter of being an American citizen. You pick up the phone, you call the FBI and say, I need to speak to someone in counterintelligence.
1: Yeah, yeah. it it seems pretty straightforward. We're talking with David K. Johnson, our Conversations with Great Minds His most recent book, The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. It's a a, a remarkable read. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. our book today is by vicki ward it's titled kushner inc greed ambition corruption Uh, this is from chapter two it's about jared kushner's childhood and his father charlie as jared kushner grew into his teens attending the frisch school a co-ed modern orthodox yeshiva in paramus new jersey where he was an average student ranked in the third track of five in his grade his father aggressively built an empire for his firstborn to inherit it was a pedestrian colossus Tens of thousands of so-called garden apartments, multifamily buildings surrounded by landscaping, mostly in New Jersey. But the income from them was enough to turn Charlie Kushner into someone whose money and approval were sought by local politicians. He was now a New Jersey power broker. The logic behind Charlie's largesse was fairly simple, according to a Kushner family member. Quote, Charlie had a messianic complex. It was his father who delivered us from Poland, and Charlie was going to deliver us to Manhattan. He's going to get us out of New Jersey and onto the Forbes 500 list. But to do that, you got to buy Governor Jim McGreevy, end quote. In November 2001, McGreevy had won the gubernatorial election with a friendly push from Charlie and his pals. Charlie was now an autocrat whose reign sometimes felt like a noose to his relatives, friends, employees, and even fellow synagogue members who came to be in his debt. His role as a family patriarch meant his relatives were not to question his aggressive methods of social advancement. He was nicknamed the Dapper Don, or Don Corleone, partly because of his natty suits and perfectly coiffed hair, but the nickname was also appropriate, some felt, given Charlie's godfather-like approach to running both his business and his personal life. Business was life. Life was business. Take Marcy Plotkin, for example, the accountant Charlie had fired for having an affair with his brother-in-law. Even though she was now at the accounting firm of SSMB, Kushner Company still paid her annual bonuses of between fifteen dollars and $25,000 and reimbursed Plotkin for the cost of her son's private school tuition, which was disguised to the IRS as a legal expense. Charlie wasn't just being nice, he needed her cooperation. Beginning in the mid-1990s at Charlie's direction, according to legal records, the company had begun to commit financial fraud to fund his growing social, political, and financial ambitions. As is common in real estate firms, each of the entities Charlie owned had its own LLC, or was its own LLC, and each LLC was owned by a partnership, a combination of Charlie and some backers. All of the LLCs passed down by Joe Kushner were, per the instructions of his will, equally divided among Charlie and his three siblings and the respective children's trusts. But Charlie set up a management company, Westminster Management, and made himself the manager of all the buildings. Initially, his siblings all thought this was a good idea. Charlie viewed his increasingly public profile as a public service, but his lust for the limelight brought some large bills. He invited politicians to speak, often for a large fee in an assortment of venues, ranging from his office to his home, off-site conferences, and his synagogue. He even invited the entire New Jersey political leadership to attend Kushner's Baby Baby's bris. A speech by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, for example, cost as much as $100,000, and Charlie paid him to speak in New Jersey four times. Rather than pay out of his own pocket for his many political and charitable contributions, Charlie, or senior executives in the firm at Charlie's Direction, took LLC money without pre-approval from the partners in the LLC to cover these costs. None of the Kushner company's partners were informed of how their money was being spent. Not Charlie's business partners, his friends, or even his siblings, children, nieces, and nephews. Nor did they know that neither the internal nor external ledger presented the true numbers for each of the LLCs. If Charlie was short on cash on one project, he borrowed from the bank account of another. That wasn't the only fudging that went on. According to court documents, there was euphemistic language used at the Tuesday weekly meetings, also called cash meetings, held at Charlie's home early in the morning. The phrase losing a bill, as in, how do we lose this bill, meant finding a way to turn an expense from one project into a capital deduction somewhere else. Personal expenses were also lost and submitted as capital business expenses from whichever LLC Richard Stradmeier and, and an executive vice president, Scott Zecker, picked. Those ranged from Charlie's home improvements to vacations, New Jersey Nets tickets, Super Bowl packages, even the alcohol Charlie and Cheryl Kushner bought for holiday celebrations. A contribution from Charlie to Harvard University to smooth the way for Jared's admission was funded by the company, not Charlie. The check was signed by Zecker, and that was no accident. Charlie never signed anything. His corner office in Florham Park was enormous, but spartan. It was 40 feet long and had a private shower and sitting area. He also had a vast outdoor terrace on which he built a sukkah, a temporary outdoor hut, under the roof of which he and his family would celebrate the Jewish holiday of sukkah. His desk, however, had nothing on it. No pens, no paper, no computer. Most critical of all to the apparent health of the company's balance sheet was what was called a Richard Special, named after Richard Statmauer, Charlie's brother-in-law and vice chairman of the Kushner companies, which was essentially bank fraud. If Charlie wanted to do an acquisition or do a refinancing that required a line of credit, Stottmauer, a chartered accountant and Mensa member, would direct a subordinate to alter the figures so that the banks would be tricked into believing Kushner Company's finances met the preconditions of their covenants. As a result, the firm would receive lines of credit and tax deductions it should not have been entitled to. Most of the senior members of Kushner's companies knew what was going on. The book by Vicki Ward, Kushner Inc., Greed, Ambition, Corruption. We are talking with David K. Johnston, Pulitzer Prize-winning author and of three books about Donald Trump, his most recent The Big Cheat. And, uh, uh, David, j- just to kind of wrap this up in the, the, the last six minutes or so that we have here, um, what in your mind, uh, you know, I don't want to pick the stories for you out of your book, what are the stories or the mess? what is the message that you most want people to know that came out of the research that you did for this book?
2: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that, Tom. Um, so many things happened during the Trump administration that would have sunk any one of them, any other president people lost sight of them. And what I saw as someone who has been devoted round the clock to Trump issues now for uh, six plus years was lots of loose thread. Something would appear in the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or the LA Times and nowhere else. So unless you read all the different news organizations I uh, check every day, you would have no idea about many of these things. And I didn't want to write a kitchen sink book. So what I did is I picked stories that I thought were most revealing of how the Trump family decided to use the White House as their own personal venue for money and power, not for the betterment of the American people, and took these loose threads and wove them together into a tapestry. So there's a story here that tells you about the lies they told, the, the charities they ripped off. Uh, the people that they shunted aside, the way American national security interests were submarine. You asked at the top of the show about Stacey Blatt. Uh, at the very end of my book, Stacy Blatt was dying. He was in hospice. He heard Rush Limbaugh say Donald Trump needs money to fight the steel, So he sent half his monthly income, $500, to the Trump Organization as a one-time gift. But the Trump Organization then tapped his bank account again and again and again and again until they took everything he had, left him with zero. Uh, they did this to thousands of people. Uh, usually you get prosecuted and go to prison for that, but that hasn't happened. Uh, Joe Biden's I think, made it pretty clear he doesn't think he should go around r- recommending the prosecution of the previous president, which is unfortunate in my view. But you're dealing with a family who are not like you and me. They don't have a sense of right and wrong like we do. As long as you win, you get the money, and you aren't prosecuted, you won. And everything that'll get you there is just fine. Lie, cheat, steal, sell out national security doesn't matter. So in this book, I what I wanted to do is give people a understanding through narrative of what Trump did by picking revealing stories. Because if we don't change things, and I have a list of easy to do reforms at the end of the book, this is gonna happen again. There are other people who wanna be our dictator. Some of them are sitting in the US Senate right now, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz among them. And our laws operate on the assumption that the president of the United States is behaving in the interests of the public. You or I might not like a particular policy of a particular president, but I don't think anybody seriously believes that our previous president set out to take care of themselves. I mean, even scandal-ridden Richard Nixon believed he was doing things that were for the good of the country. And his wrongdoing was concentrated with keeping himself elected in power, not seizing power. So the point of this book is people, I know people have Trump fatigue, trouble. Trust me, nobody in America has more Trump fatigue than I do. But this isn't over. This is far from over, and if we want to maintain our liberties and our freedoms, we have to be informed. So all these people going around saying, oh, the Russia thing was a hoax. No, it wasn't. We got a Senate Intelligence Committee and other reports. It was not. Certain elements, minor elements, the journalists got wrong. They accurately reported what they knew at the time, but it was wrong. David Trump has an excellent piece about this in the Atlantic. There are others who say, you know, there, there was no corruption in the Trump administration. That's all just liberal lies. No, we have well-documented cases of massive abuses of taxpayers and law beyond any dispute.
1: David, it's a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. The Big Cheat is David K. Johnston's new book, uh, his website, dcreport.org. You can tweet him at David K. J. David, thank you so much for dropping by today. Great talking with you. Thank you. My pleasure. This is really a book worth having. And thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back same time, same place. Get out there, get active, tag your it. Have a great afternoon and be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars,